sleep is like a magic pill. It, it's, it helps with so many aspects of teen lives that parents worry about. It helps with their school and academic performance. It helps with their ability to focus and concentrate. It, it helps enormously with anxiety and depression with their moods. It helps stabilize their weight. It helps with relationships. So we always say, I mean, we could go on, the list is even longer than that, but we always say that sleep is foundational. Sleep is like air and water and food. So no matter what you're worried about with your teenager, it makes sense to start with sleep. You, it doesn't mean they may not need more help with some of those other issues once you've solved sleep, but it doesn't make any sense to send your teenager to a therapist for anxiety if they're only sleeping six hours a night. This episode is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. We hear people talking about mindfulness, but why would we want our kids to learn how to pay attention to the present moment with kindness and curiosity? Well, research has shown the benefits of mindfulness to include increased self-awareness, improved focus and impulse control, decreased stress and anxiety, skillful response to difficult emotions, and increased empathy. And research on the impact of IBME retreats shows teens experience increased self-compassion and life satisfaction, as well as decreased rumination and reactivity following their retreat. Basically, it's what we strive for at Mighty Parenting, emotional wellness and greater contentment for our kids. IBME has many programs and opportunities for our teens and young adults, and even parents, to learn and practice mindfulness. Just visit ibme.com slash mightyparenting to see what's available. And while you're there, be sure to enter your email to stay updated on new offerings. Hi, I'm Sandy Fowler, and you're listening to Mighty Parenting, a podcast where we explore parenting in a way that helps us and our kids find more happiness and fosters emotional wellness, even while solving problems with our teens and young adults. We learn through advice and stories from experts and other parents, and I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome to Mighty Parenting, where we have real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults in today's world. We are chatting today with Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright. Heather is a psychotherapist who specializes in sleep and parenting, and Julie is the creator of The Right Mommy and Me, one of Los Angeles's best-known Mommy and Me programs. They frequently speak at parenting centers and schools, and they offer sleep consultations and individual therapy, as well as having recently written the book, Generation Sleepless. And they're both joining us today so we can have a real conversation about our tired teens. So Heather, Julie, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. So we've all been there. We've experienced it. We are prodding our tired teens to either get out of bed or get out the door, or we're trying to encourage our wide awake teens in the middle of the night to actually go to bed, go to sleep. Is this new? I mean, have teens not always had different circadian rhythms and kind of different sleep schedules from the rest of the world? Or is this really somehow different for the generation we're raising now? So it's true that teenagers have always, for decades, been suffering with sleep deprivation. Their sleep overall, I'd say for the last two decades, has really been under um, what it should be. So 
that's because of early start times and a lot of things that we can get into. But the difference now is that we have the addition of technology and the algorithms that keep our, our teenagers awake. Um, and even during COVID, and you know, we can also talk more about how the pandemic affected sleep. There are various things that have come into the lives of teens in the last, say, five years that have really amplified the problem of sleep deprivation. So teens are the most sleep deprived population ever in human history. They are more sleep deprived than adults and little kids, but also modern day teens, as in today's teens, are the most sleep deprived that they've ever been. So it's really an acute crisis right now. And we're parents, so we can all think back to what sleep deprivation felt like when we had really little ones. We've all had some kind of experience where we had a period of time where we really just did not get the kind of sleep we needed. And I'm thinking back of just how that impacted my mental acuity, my, my physical abilities even, you know, makes us clumsy and all kinds of other things. And I feel like a lot of the things that parents worry about with their kids or find frustrating in their kids, a lot of that could actually just be tied back to sleep deprivation, couldn't it? Absolutely. You've got it. I mean, sleep is like a magic pill. It, it's, it helps with so many aspects of teen lives that parents worry about. It helps with their school and academic performance. It helps with their ability to focus and concentrate. It it helps enormously with anxiety and depression, with their moods. It helps stabilize their weight. It helps with relationships. So we always say, I mean, we could go on, the list is even longer than that, but we always say that sleep is foundational. Sleep is like air and water and food. So no matter what you're worried about with your teenager, it makes sense to start with sleep. You, it doesn't mean they may not need more help with some of those other issues once you've solved sleep, but it doesn't make any sense to send your teenager to a therapist for anxiety if they're only sleeping six hours a night. You know, it doesn't make, because you might uncover that they don't actually need much more help than that. So sleep is, it's amazing how many things are affected and you're absolutely right when we don't sleep well we just feel terrible and we feel like we're not functioning well. We feel negative. Our mood goes down. We're shorter tempered. And what we discovered actually, when we wrote our first book, The Happy Sleeper, we learned that when we're sleep deprived, parts of our brains are actually asleep during the day when we're walking around. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. and and that explains why you feel the way you do when you're sleep deprived. You just feel like something's terribly wrong. All right, my nerdy side just has to know. I know we can't go into great detail on that, but I have to know a little bit about that. So, when we are sleep deprived, parts of our brain sleep during the day. Is this just our body's defense mechanism to make sure that the brain is ultimately getting what it needs for survival? I, yeah, I just of, can't comprehend that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, if you think about like the basics, the hierarchy of what you need, you need to be able to walk around, talk, you know, move your body, breathe, and all those functions really stay online when you're sleep deprived. But what goes out the window is your executive function. Your, the, the activity in the frontal cortex is lower. 
and the connections between the, the emotional brain and the frontal cortex are also lower. So essentially what you really need to survive stays online. That's why teens can, you know, operate their bodies and walk around and do what they need to do. But if you ask them to solve a creative problem or feel inspired in school, or, you know, they may not have the creative juices because those parts of the brain are not online. That makes absolute sense when you say that. And again, as I think about it, I can think about myself, I can think about my kids and I can see that, like, I can see where yeah, they got up, they went and then watched them try to struggle through doing a creative writing assignment or not even creative writing per se, but a writing assignment of any kind, right? Where they need to bring that into it. You mentioned that um, there were, well, let's go back here. You said that the pandemic has made sleep issues worse. Can you share with us a little bit about that, Julie? Well, interestingly, initially during the pandemic, studies show that teenagers started out getting more sleep. They could um, go to bed around the same time that they always did, but they didn't have to get up as early to get to school on time. They could just roll around in bed and turn their Zoom on and (laughs) wear their pajamas and show up for class. But what happened over time And I'm not sure we know exactly the reason. I think it really had to do with the fact that they stopped getting as many cues from the sun and from having daily routines. Their sleep started shifting even later. So they started staying up even later into the night, still had to get up for school, even though they didn't have to commute and their sleep amounts started to go down. So there was an initial increase, but overall sleep suffered and you know, mental issues like anxiety and depression, of course, contributed and the social isolation and the, you know, issues with relationships in the family, with everyone staying home, all of those things, of course, I'm sure contributed to sleep suffering. And this is something for us as parents to be aware of, because we might be thinking, oh, you know, you're home so much more and you don't have as many things going on. So you're probably getting more sleep and they're actually not. So we just need to be aware of that. And then Heather, I believe you mentioned that there were actually five things that have been introduced in recent history that have really impacted this this generation of teenagers in addition to all of the other sleep problems that have been going on for decades. Did I say five? I'm sure there are five, but I'm not, I'm not sure if I said that, but I could probably come up with five. <laughs> <We can't laughs> Why don't you with... tell us what the key ones are? Yeah. My brain heard five, but that yeah, doesn't mean that's what you said. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the, the, one of the most um, powerful factors is that um, technology algorithms for social media, YouTube, all those things have become more engaging. So we've got just more um, brilliantly addictive you know, technology that keeps us engaged. And especially for teenagers, um, and especially because they are such social creatures, that's really difficult to shut down for them. And it has caused them to stay up later and later. We've also got, as time goes on, high school piles on more and more homework. So you just find that over time, there's this idea of sort of like more is always better. And teens are always getting more and more on their plate, the competition for college is going up and that just makes them feel like they have to add more to their schedule. 
and high schools don't. Um, they, a lot of them haven't gotten the message that more homework is not always better. So I'd say homework has increased, pressure and academic competition has increased. Um, and as sleep goes down, anxiety is going up. It's a, it's a feedback loop. So um, I think that that's those two things, the, the stress and, um, and the, the overscheduling and technology would be the, the main things that have happened uniquely in the, in the last, you know, five years or so. And I have a small soapbox moment. I am so in agreement with you that schools need to get over this homework thing. I, and, and, and part of it is that competition for college and all of that. I just, one of my girls, I think it was her senior year and we had her dropping classes because she would come home from school and start doing homework and she would be doing homework straight through till 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And, and that's without having any activities or anything. And, and another thing, I don't know when this would have started, but you were talking about academic pressure. And I think there's also sports pressure. Yes. And it, when you talk about sleep, yeah. the one that really comes to mind first is swim teams because they do two a days. So these poor kids are at school at, you know, five and six at practice in the morning and they have meets into the night. Okay, so you said we have these three things. We have the tech algorithms. We have this academic pressure with more homework. We have the, the academic pressure of competition of college and everything. I mentioned the idea of sports also competition. And those things are new, you're saying, for this generation. So I'm wondering what we as parents can do about that. I, I feel like a lot of this is a little bit out of our control in terms of what's happening with school and homework and academic pressure. I don't know if you have suggestions for us around that, and then we can get into technology and some of the other things that we can do at home. But do you specifically have help for us around those? We do. But just to your point, as we were starting to write the book and starting to look at this, what, what we're you know, calling this perfect storm of factors that steal teenagers sleep, we didn't want to write a book that was just for parents because of the reason you just mentioned, because we didn't want parents to feel like, oh my gosh, you know, yet another thing that I'm not getting right and, and something that I actually can't really completely fix, you know? So we really, that's the last thing we wanted to do was point the finger at parents and say, oh, you need to fix this. We wrote the book as a cry out to society. We really want big tech. We really want college admissions. We really want schools to look at all of these factors and make changes. We want them to change school start times. We want them to reduce homework. We want college admissions to, to create a reasonable you know, expectation or framework for how they admit students. And we want big tech, which is something we don't have a lot of um, knowledge about how to even articulate it. But there, there's a lot of information out there about responsible design. And it is, it is becoming more and more something that... Um, other entities are calling out to big tech to do. 
where big tech companies, you know, what we say, you know, to teenagers is, you know, technology companies do not have your best interests at heart. They could care less how much sleep you're getting or how you're feeling or what your mood is or, you know. So we, first of all, we want to, we want to educate families and teenagers to be a little more savvy and a little more informed about their use of technology. But even more importantly than that, we really want to put pressure on big tech to, to change their, their goals and their mission and to, to become responsible designers so that they can create content that teenagers don't get so pulled in by, don't get so addicted to. That's an interesting thought. This isn't a conversation we normally have with our kids, or at least I didn't, is how do we put pressure as a society? How can we put pressure on big tech to help us with this? I, I do know that our last updates on our phones included some great tools for shutting out the world. These, these focus tools on the Apple devices are really helpful and really useful and one way of doing that. But what are there are things that we can do and we can talk to our kids about doing to help put that, put that pressure back on to say, you know, design devices that not only help us, but help us with our mental health, help us be physically and mentally healthy. Yeah, it's something that that legislators and, and politicians are starting to talk about. If you hear, if you listen closely to what, um, I mean, you know, we've had hearings about this, congressional hearings and things where they're actually legislators starting to talk about the responsibility of tech companies. So I think expanding that conversation in your home and, and talking more about that and why that's important. And then going out and voting for those people is really important and making it clear that it's important to you as a constituent, that that is something you're behind and you do see the impact on mental and physical health. So um, there are lots of things that, that technology companies can do. We, we looked into one um, Cornell tech um, designer who had essentially done this design where you set your own parameters for when you, let's say, wanna check Facebook. And if you go beyond those parameters, your phone starts to vibrate and buzz in this really annoying way. And <laughs> it does that until you scroll away from it and go back to something else. So it's like making the, that part of the functionality of, um, of the platforms is something that can be easily, I mean, it can be done. It's just, it goes against in some ways the, the goals of tech companies. So that's why it becomes difficult, but we all, have the same goal of feeling healthy, sleeping, and having our mental and physical health be high. So there, we should all be aligned in that goal. Okay, so those are some things that we can do from the big tech side. And I know that you guys do share some information about altering our family practices, what we're doing in our home. I know at the time we're recording this, my family has just started, we went, okay, Lent's here. And we actually agreed to have our living room be a no device zone. There is a television. So if we want to watch something, we can watch it as a family on there, but there will be no individual devices. And so I'm very curious to see how this works out over the course of several weeks. 
but what, what ideas, what tips and strategies do you have for us? Like what kinds of things have you heard about or seen that work for real families? Well, you're on the right track because one of the best ways to, to help with, you know, less tech use for your children, for your teenagers, is to work together as a family, to talk about it as a family and to, to look at your own tech use as a parent and to start to create no tech zones, no tech days, no tech hours, or to create times when you do use tech. You know, I'm going to go, you know, answer emails for 20 minutes and then let's meet, you know, and play a game or go outside or go for a walk or something like that. So it's, when you think of it, it's kind of insidious that tech addicts all of us and it keeps us from doing the things that bring us together and connect us like meals together and watching movies together and playing games together and all of those things that teenagers are already starting to kind of creep away from us and want to be on their own, which is normal, but we don't want to overdo that. We want balance. We still want to have those family rituals and those family dinners. So uh, some of it is just sitting down and we, we, we write in the book about having a family meeting and, and everybody sort of talking in a, in an open way, that's not going to be judged about their tech use and what their goals are and what they would like to do differently. A lot of people will say that they would like to use their tech less. So that's a great starting point. Um, and then, you know, depending on what everybody's goals are and what, what kind of benefits they would like to see from getting more sleep and using less tech, you can start to create a family challenge for, for doing that. I love that idea of a family challenge. Have, have either of you done that or do you know a family that's done that? Yeah, we do. And we have some examples in our book of, of um, ways to do it. And we have we have a challenge that's pretty, you know, coordinated and step by step based on, you know, the we have in, in the book, we have five habits for happy sleepers. And then the challenge is based around those five habits. And it's very structured and people like it. And actually teenagers like it too, because they and they might want to do it with their friends and not their family. Or they might just want to do it on their own or with a theater group or a sports team, but um, it's, it's a great way to, to structure it. It helps to have that structure. Well, and Julie, you mentioned like, you know, family dinners and things like that. And well, one, I'll link to an episode we did about having a family tech Shabbat, which was 24 hours every week of no devices, but it wasn't focused on we're going to put our devices down. It was focused on having this, this family time, a family meal. They would invite other friends over. If kids wanted to see friends, instead of doing it via their devices, they would invite the friends and their families over. So now that expanded social circles, that strengthened connections around our kids, because now the parents also know each other. And as a parent, when I know other parents, I know I feel more comfortable, more trust about my kids doing more things with them. And it, it just kind of, um, kind of grows from there. And by focusing on what we can do and what we do want, like you were talking about Heather, well, what are our goals? 
And, and that's kind of what happened with us deciding to this As I said, I had picked some tech goals for myself. And when I just brought it up and started talking to my girls, the conversation expanded and I chucked out this idea. I said, well, we could try making the living room a device free zone. And they jumped on it. And then my husband jumped on it. So like, again, you two are saying is, yeah, the whole family feels kind of this pain, but how does this all tie into sleep? Yeah, that's you know, we're good. talking about devices and we hear all the time yeah. about devices. There are good things and not so great things. And there's a lot to learn how to live with them in a healthy way. But what is the tie in to devices and sleep for our teens and, and us, but more so our teens? Yeah. So the way to think about technology and sleep is that technology essentially moves us away from the, the natural day and night. So as the sun goes down, we're, we're much more tuned. Our bodies are built to be tuned in to sunset and sunrise and modern life takes us so far away from that natural cycle. So this um, isn't then, just devices. This is right. all technology. Okay. This is from our lighting to the sound and all the activity we do, Absolutely. including devices. Exactly. And that's where actually the, the good news is because um, it, it doesn't have to be this, you know, strict thing about getting rid of technology. It's more like if you just think about, for example, when researchers take uh, young adults camping without any phones or technology and all they have are, you know, like campfires and um, they will sleep like 10 to 12 hours a night. Um, so just imagine that. And of course we can't camp all the time, but if you imagine that human beings are built to respond to the darkness and the sun, you can actually use that to inform what you do on a daily basis. So for example, one of the very, very powerful and very simple things that we tell teenagers to do is to go outside when they first wake up and get five to 10 minutes of outside sun. And that means even in the winter, if you live in the Northeast and it's dark and you're like, there's no sun, there is. <laughs> it's very powerful through the clouds. So um, being up, not sleeping in too much on the weekends. So maybe sleeping in an hour or two past what you have to be, um, up for during the week is extremely helpful because again, you're staying in sync with the sun and that really controls your sleep. So it is about more than technology. It's about home lighting lights in your home can suppress your sleep just as much as, as your technology. So lowering the lights in your home and then getting sun in the morning really help you stay in sync with, with the natural cycle of night and dark, which is what your, which is what your sleep is, you know, really attuned to. And we found some, uh, we've all heard about blue light from our devices, but we found some light bulbs that they have a, well, it's called red light. And it is mm -hmm. that softer glow. It reminds me of camping and the light that you get from mm -hmm. campfire. It's not that orange, but we, we use that in, um, half the lamps, like all right. both lamps in mine and my husband's bedroom, both our bedside lamps have those in the living room. We have, uh, two, well, two regular lamps and a salt lamp. So the regular ones, we have a one regular light bulb and one with the red light. And I, we did it for my husband when he was having some sleep issues. And now my kids, if they come in or, or the piano, there's a light on there too. So if I have the piano light on or the other one, they switch them when they walk in the room and in the evening, they turn on the red light and turn off the other ones without, I don't even know if they know 
what we did or why we did it, they just naturally gravitate to that softer lighting in the evening. Yeah. That's so, so smart. That's great. Yeah. We have a concept in the book that's called the sleep bubble and it fits in with this idea that sleep needs a prelude. It needs a little bit of space around it. So we call it the sleep bubble. We can't just go from these bright stimulating environments and fall into bed and expect to fall asleep. Our, our bodies need time where sunset is simulated by this dimming of the light that you're doing so beautifully in your household. And Heather and I do it in ours too. And we, we work with families to do it is where we start to simulate sunset by dimming the lights, by using more red and amber colored lights um, and also moving away from anything that's exciting or upsetting or stimulating or anything that's super engaging so that our bodies have time to release melatonin to prepare for sleep. When you do that in combination with holding a consistent bedtime, your internal clock gets trained for that time and it makes it very easy to fall asleep. So it's the opposite of keeping all the lights on and being super stimulated and moving your bedtime all around. So if you do all those things, and it's challenging with teenagers to get them to do all those things, but once we start creating a new routine, we start to create new habits. And, and teenagers, just like you're showing in your, in your family, teenagers like routines and they like to feel good and they like to climb into bed feeling cozy and peaceful and serene, just like we do. So sometimes we just need to work together to help them, you know, have these rituals and have these routines and, and feel supported in the home. And I'm seeing the, the device discussion in a new light too, because again, we hear that we shouldn't have devices in the bedroom, turn off your devices an hour before bedtime. But most of that talk is about the blue light, which is a thing. And yet, you know, then the kids say, well, you know, I use what night shift or whatever, which I have on all my devices too. However, there's more to it than that. As you said, it's what are you doing? It's the stimulation. And if you're scrolling social media, you don't know what you're going to run into. And it can be positive stimulation too. It can be, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. This is so great. You know, my, my friend went on this vacation, look at her photos. Like, this is incredible, but that's still stimulation. That's, that's not the softening. So I am assuming that you would encourage us to, in our family meeting, discuss okay, what do we want to do about devices before bed and during that bedtime? And, and as parents be open to maybe creating a family charging station, not to demand that they do it, but to create that opportunity and do it ourselves. Exactly. Well, depending on their age, we're fine with you demanding. I'm not sure I'd use for that word. Little but ones. Yes. For well, for young teenagers and tweens, yeah. for sure. We, we, we really want to help parents not let go too soon. A lot of parents let go very early of those, those family agreements or rules, but, um, but you're absolutely right. The technology, we, we, we list three factors, the light, the stimulation. And the third one is, is flow. 
So when we're on devices, whether we're scrolling social media or watching YouTube videos or playing a video game, they can create a, a sense of flow. They can bring us into a state of flow where time elapses and we have no sense of how much time has gone by. And this is another way that being on tech right before bed can push bedtime a lot later. Yeah. And I know for me, because I've been doing this again for a while of, okay, getting the phone out of the room and even just checking it right before I go into the room to go, oh, wait, what's my first appointment tomorrow? Or what, you know, what's on my list? Just sort of giving my brain that answer to what's happening tomorrow. So I'm not kept awake thinking about that, but just looking at that one thing, I can't tell you exactly what it is, except that it's like something I feel through my whole body. It, it just pulls you back into it, whether it is the light or what you're thinking about or the things that pop up or any of that. But that was my experience. And I do know that for me, and this is just something to think about parents is if your kids are not going to have a phone in their room, make sure they do have uh, a good solution for other things they need. So they're going to need an alarm clock and maybe they're a kid who needs a sleep machine because those are things that we can get all that from our phones. And so sometimes I think we forget how many things our phone replaces. So it's like, oh, I need a reading light and I need it. And I needed a very particular alarm clock. It took me a long time to find an alarm clock I was willing to use. Um, just, you know, different things that we want to kind of talk through that with them. I think when we're having that discussion, we have that family meeting and, and we're having a talk about, okay, so if we weren't going to take our phones into our rooms, what do we want in our rooms? Like, how do we want that to feel and how do we want that to function for ourselves? And I don't know what you guys, um, if you found that there are certain things that are pretty common that people need to think about when they're going to not have their devices in their bedrooms anymore? Yeah, it really depends on where the family is. We try to meet families where they are. So for example, if you, you know, we have, we work with a lot of families that have computers, like big desktop computers in their rooms. Sometimes it's because of the pandemic and because of their kids trying to find space to work and stuff. So, but it was happening even before the pandemic a lot of computers in bedrooms. Um, and sometimes people feel really resistant to getting rid of those things. So it really depends on the family. The ideal thing is for your bedroom to really be a technology free zone, kind of like your little sleeping cave where there's no, um, where you can really disconnect. For example, my son, who's a young teenager, he has a little timer in his room that has no information on it except that he can set it for how long he wants to read for. So he has his little you know, red reading light. Then he has the timer that can be set for if he wants to read for 15 minutes, but he doesn't have his phone in his room and he doesn't actually know what time. He, he, doesn't, um, he doesn't have to look at the clock or anything like that. It's just a simple timer. So he can go, I wanna read for 15 minutes, but no other information. So there's nothing else to worry about. And, you know, so alarm clocks that have lights on them that flash, you know, or that, that just tell you the time, it's like too much information for your brain. We wanna, so ideally we wanna remove all of that, but it really depends on the family and what, what they're starting with and what's, what feels reasonable to them. And um, so we've come up with solutions with families that kind of meet them halfway 
around that. And but it yeah, so it's kind of unique, but the the idea is the same um, that human beings sleep best in dark, cool, boring, cozy spaces with no no real information or puzzles to figure out, no no alerts that come in, no thoughts that are provoked by, you know, a social media update or anything like that. This is such a great conversation and I have so many more things I'd like to talk about, but I think we're going to need to wrap up for today. So I am sure that other people also have more they would like to know and hear about. Where can they find you ladies online? Where our website is thehappysleeper.com, but the book Generation Sleepless is out and everywhere that, you know, books are sold. And um, we are also mostly on Instagram at The Happy Sleeper. And we'll have a link for your website and the book and all of that right in the show notes. So thank you, Heather, Julie, so much. Such a great and enlightening conversation. I appreciate your time. It was really fun. Thank you for having us. And mighty parents, I appreciate you and your time to thank you for tuning in and for being part of this community. Remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you already are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week. Mighty Parents, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. If you're ready for more, visit MightyParenting.com where you can get your free email series, How to Talk to Your Teen, with tips for communicating with your teen in a way that builds connection and communication. And of course, remember to share the podcast with another parent to support them on their parenting journey.